friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and so I'm just really glad to see you this morning and to, to walk through this passage together. So, um, in, in the book of Acts chapter 8, we meet Saul in his um, persecution of the church. And it says, Saul approved of his execution, right? So, they had just put Stephen to death. Stephen testifies to the resurrection of Jesus. He challenges the Jews for their role in the killing of Jesus. They, they stone him to death. Saul is there holding the coats of the people stoning him to death. He approved of this, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So, right, the prophecy of Jesus is getting fulfilled really quickly. So, you'll be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and then even to the ends of the earth. So, this is happening. It says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So in the midst of this kind of joy at the resurrection of Jesus, at the day of Pentecost, speaking in tongues, fire, people getting saved and baptized, very quickly you weren't safe in your own home. Saul's threatening them. Now those who were scattered went about preaching. I love it. It's like they didn't stop. They just went about what they were doing already in different places as they got scattered. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in this city. And it struck me as the gospel kind of you know, it, it, it like emanated out from this little group in this upper room into the streets of Jerusalem, and then it started to spread across the region. What struck me was the response to what God was doing. It just felt like God gave me this little insight to say, look at the different response that people have to Jesus, to his announcement of his kingship, to the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at how people respond. And even in this uh, passage, we have the response of all these different people, some named and some unnamed, right? And what happens is we see that the announcement of the kingdom of God disrupts our lives and demands a response. Right? So when we hear the word of God, when we hear about Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and what it means for us as human beings, it naturally disrupts the order of our lives. Because what it says is that something new has happened, and there's a different reality that you're invited to live into, and you have to make a choice about this news. You can't just go, meh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like disruptive, and it demands a response, and we see in this passage, right, we see Saul responding to the news of Jesus as king with anger and violence. We see Philip taking the, the command of Jesus to go to the nations with the gospel. We see him in obedience. We see the Samaritans who were like um, 
some of them responding with joy, some of them resisting. Later on in Acts 8, you see Simon the magician who literally tries to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. His response was really fascinating to what's happening around him. You see Peter and John going to meet people in this work. They confront Simon the magician. You see the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Riding along the road, he's reading the book of Isaiah and he doesn't understand it. Philip shows up out of nowhere. And what does he do? He says, can I get baptized right here and now? And he's like, well, there's some water. Isn't that crazy? His response is just this immediate enlightenment, illumination, and obedience to, to the word of God. You see different responses from different people, but what you, what you see is everyone has a response. Because this message, this word, this announcement, this reality disrupts the natural order of the world. There's a new kingdom here, and there's a new king. And I love that it's not far away, it's not just sometime in the future, it's near, and it's now. Which reminded me of, of Luke 2, right? Luke 2, Simeon um, is in the temple and it says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. You'll notice how much the Holy Spirit plays a role in all these things. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple and when the parents brought in the child of Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people. In my mind, it looks like this. It's like, I love that. It's like, this is this guy's like holding up baby Jesus in the temple. Like, can you imagine you've waited your whole life for this Messiah and he actually shows up and he holds them up and he blesses him. And the father and mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus was appointed for the falling and the rising of many and that, the, that hearts would get revealed in a way that religion never can get to the heart. It can't reveal your heart because religion is performative. It's all about the outside of the bowl. And here comes this baby who will be a man who will <laughs> take the bowl and like crack it open and reveal to everyone what's on the inside. What's going on the inside. And so he says this thing, the fall and rising of many, and that heart's would be revealed. Um, so I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to do a thing. We're, we're going to track through the book of Luke since that's where we're at, and we're going to le- read a lot of scripture this morning. And here, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to not just hear the scripture with your ears and not just hear familiar stories, but actually to, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what's in your heart this morning. And whether or not your life is rising or falling based on the message of Jesus, on his birth, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the coming of his spirit, all of those things demand a response, right? And so um, I've asked Annie to read a passage of scripture. So I think there's something we've got to remember about God's word, that God's word is alive 
It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It's profitable to us to listen and obey. And so she's going to read out of Psalm 19. If you would just take a moment, just listen to this passage of scripture, and then we'll walk through all of these passages. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Mm. So Jesus, when he was about five years old, this would have been the first verse he memorized. And a rabbi would walk through the room and he'd have a little jar of honey and every single, every single boy would get a drop of honey on their tongue to remind them that the word of God is sweeter than honey. But I love this, who can discern their errors, right? If we're walking around every day trying to discern our own errors, we are in error. <laughs> and how can you in error discern your own errors? The word of God right? Revives the soul. It refreshes. It instructs. It convicts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I want us to hear these verses and see the responses of people and maybe find ourselves in the story. So what that is, is not just us reading the Word of God, but allowing the, read, the Word of God to read us, right? To read our story, our life, our thoughts, our motives, our actions, so let's walk through this, right? So you see Mary right away in the book of Luke. In one, she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Right away, you see Mary responding to the announcement of Jesus with surrender. Elizabeth, her cousin, greets Mary. The baby leaps in her womb. John leaps in her womb. Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaims with a loud cry. What does she do? She responds to the story. She has to, like, uh, get this out of her. This response just comes out. Mary, what does she do when she hears all these things? She magnifies the Lord. She worships. Her response to her part in the story of Jesus is not to think about herself. It's to worship and magnify Jesus and to rejoice in God, her Savior. The shepherds went with haste, right? The, the angel appears to them. They went with haste to Mary and Joseph. They find him lying in the manger. They tell them everything they've heard concerning the child, and wonder fills everyone. I love Mary. Look at Mary's response. She treasures these things up. I picture Mary with all these beautiful things that God's doing. She's doing this. She's like, oh, gathering them all up. You know, it's like spilling. We're trying to pick up so much, and you're like, you drop one, and you're like, get that one too. That's what God's doing so much around you all the time. Are you treasuring it? <laughs> Are you like, I got, I've got to hold on to all these things because it's so good. But what do the shepherds do? The shepherds, they, they wonder at what the shepherds told them, and then they return glorifying and praising God. They worship for all that they had heard and seen Jesus enters the spirit in the temple, right? And this is Simeon again, that Simeon responds to the presence of Jesus by blessing him, by blessing him. Luke 4, Jesus makes his arrival and announcement in a synagogue. And what did they do when they heard these things? All in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Their response to the disruption of their lives 
in Jesus was to be angry, was to actually be wrathful. Jesus meets some demons, and what do they do? The demons cry out, you are the son of God. Their response to Jesus was to declare his identity in front of all people. Isn't that amazing? Even demons have to respond to Jesus. The disciples meet Jesus. They brought their boats to land. What do they do? They left everything and followed him. They responded with following. Jesus meets a leper in a city. What does he do when he sees Jesus? He falls on his face and he begs him for healing. He encounters Jesus. He falls on his face. What do the scribes and Pharisees, how do they respond? What do they do? They question Jesus. Why? Because they're responding in skepticism. That someone might have a knowledge or a power that they don't have. But look at the other people. Amazement seized them. They glorified God, were filled with awe. They worshiped. One person responded with skepticism. Another person in the same situation responded with worship. Jesus went out, goes out and sees Levi sitting at the tax booth. He says, follow me, and leaving everything. I love how fast this happens. And leaving everything, he just rose and followed him. Look what, look what happens. Levi throws a party for all of his friends the tax collectors, others reclining, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples. They saw what Jesus was doing, who he was bringing into this new kingdom, and they grumbled at him. We can see what Jesus is doing, and it disrupts us in a way that we complain and grumble about who's invited, about who gets to play, about what's going on, and our response is grumbling or complaining some of the Pharisees, what do they do? They question Jesus and they accuse him of breaking the law. They see what he's doing and rather than coming under it, they actually accuse him of doing something wrong because what he's doing is new to them. How do we respond when something new in our spiritual life comes about? Right? The Pharisees accused him. On another Sabbath, Jesus is teaching. He heals the man on the Sabbath. Look at what the Pharisees do. They watch him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might have reason to accuse him and they were filled with fury. There's a way of approaching Jesus and responding to him where you always keep him at a distance watching him, but watching him with, with, with a sense that something's wrong or something might happen that you don't like. You just like keep him at arm's length. Jesus heard these things. He marveled at him, turning to the crowd. He says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. This is the story of the centurion, right? This is crazy. Jesus' response to faith was to marvel. <laughs> so the centurion has faith. He responds to hearing about Jesus, even at a distance. He sends someone in faith, knowing that Jesus can heal. And Jesus responds to his faith with marveling. And they found the servant well. Jesus raises the dead man. He sat up and began to speak. Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, and they declared things about Jesus. <laughs> they responded to him with, with fear, right? With, but with the good kind of fear, the fear that causes you to worship and to praise, not the fear that causes you to run and hide. When all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, listen to what they did. They declared God to be just, but look what the Pharisees said. The Pharisees, because they hadn't had the experience, they rejected the experience of John, what did they do? They rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Somebody else had an experience with Jesus that they hadn't had, so that, what did they do? They rejected the purpose of God. They didn't just reject people. 
rejected the purpose of God. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that, she, that Jesus was climbing at the table in a Pharisee's house, what did she do? She brought an alabaster jar, alabaster jar of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. This woman traveled to find this man who she heard could forgive her sins and purify her life. What does she do? She brings worship into the house. She brings generosity into the house. She brings like just weeping, like weeping. And what do the Pharisees do? They begin to say to themselves, one, their question, who is this that forgives sins? And they grumble again. If he knew who was touching him, he wouldn't be okay with this. You see the 12 are with him in this scenario in Luke 7. And it's also some women who have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, from whom seven demons had gone out. Also Joanna, right? And Susanna, many others who, listen, provided out of their means for Jesus. So you have a group of people who responded to the call of Jesus by being with him. They followed him. And what else did they do? They generously provided for his ministry. They're like, we know that this brings life. We're going to open up our wallet and support this man. We're going to pay for this. They responded in generosity. The disciples, they, they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? What did they do? Fear gripped them and they marveled <laughs> at Jesus. They're like, who is this man? You have the man who's... Fill, uh, uh, who's uh, Filled with a demon, possessed by a demon, he cries out, falls down before him, and says with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart. Look at the response. Their response to this man, Jesus, was to ask Jesus to leave. <laughs> Right? Because they couldn't control him. They couldn't make sense of this thing. They're like, Jesus, we need you to get out of here. But look at the man who the demon had been delivered out of. He says, he says Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. I want to be near you. But Jesus says no. And look at his response to Jesus' no. Jesus said no, but stay here and do that here. And what does he do? He says he went away back to his home, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Even when Jesus frustrated his desire to do one thing, he obeyed and submitted to the other thing. The lady who had the condition of blood, what did she do when she heard Jesus was near? She came up behind him and she said, if I can just touch a piece of his robe. And what's interesting is, is there was a prophecy in the book of Malachi that says the Messiah will come with healing in his wings, his robe, the, the corner of their, their, uh, uh, their prayer shawl, they called those wings. So there's a belief that the Messiah would come and in his prayer shawl, if you could just touch it, you could be healed. With faith, she responded to that scripture, chased Jesus down, touched the hem of his prayer shawl, and immediately was healed. Jesus calls the 12 together, gives them power and authority over all demons, secure diseases, sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, gives them all these instructions. And then what do they do? I love this. And they departed. That's it. <laughs> what do they do when Jesus told them all this stuff? They just departed. They just obeyed right away in the simplest way they knew how, knowing that Jesus had given them everything they needed to fulfill his purpose. Jesus is praying alone. The disciples are there with him. They say, he's asked them, like, what are the people saying about me? And they're like, oh, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others, prophet of old. And he said, what do you say? And I love Peter answers, you're the Christ of God. Peter responds in the moment about who Jesus is. He sees and he proclaims that. 
When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But listen to this, but the people did not receive him. The Samaritans were like, nope, we don't want this guy. We don't want anything to do with you. Look at what they did. They responded with just saying no. And I don't know if it was fear, if it was rebellion, if it was disbelief or what it was. All that matters is that they didn't receive him. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another, he says, follow me. And he says, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus get in response to this call to follow me? He gets excuses. (laughs) He gets all the reasons why I don't have time. I don't have margin. I don't have capacity I've got all these other things competing, and once I do these things, I'll come on your thing. And what they're saying is, Jesus, I can't put you first, but I'll put you second or third. And when I get to second or third, it'll be awesome. So they went their way. Jesus enters a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her to her house. And she had a sister called Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted. So you have two, two different responses to Jesus coming. One is for someone who wants to do all the work, and one somebody who just wants to be with Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary, choose, hey, she chose the better thing, right? So the one who just wants to be with me. Now he's casting out a demon that was a mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and all the people marveled, but some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While some others, to test him, kept seeking him a a sign from heaven. So this is an interesting response. God has already done something in your midst and yet when he does that thing, your first response is to ask for another thing. Because you're like, God, give me a sign. He casts out a demon. God, give me a, a sign from heaven. So many times God's already working and he's like, haven't I done enough? (laughs) And you act as if I do one more thing, you're going to follow. But usually that one more thing is followed by God. If you just do one more thing, I'll follow, I'll commit, I'll, I'll, I'll sell out. And there's always one more thing. I love this one's really fascinating. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that which you nursed. Essentially her response to Jesus was to bless his mother. Which all the moms were like, well, that's kind of cool. He remembered Mary. You know, but it's, it's interesting. She didn't say, blessed are you, Jesus. She's like, she like does something and Jesus kind of goes a different direction. It was really fascinating. But it's interesting to me that, that the difference between marveling and blessing Jesus and trying to deflect our praise to a human being. Right? We love to, def- to, to direct our praise to flesh and blood. Because it just feels more real. Right? Right now. Because we can't see Jesus in the flesh and blood. Jesus is speaking. A Pharisee asked him to dine with them. So he went and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he didn't first wash. Jesus breaks the law. And that word astonished was probably better thought of like taken aback or offended. Jesus broke a rule that they held really high. He didn't, he didn't, he just didn't value that anymore. He's like, I'm done with all that. Right? But instead of seeing Jesus and all the beautiful things he was bringing to their home, they were offended. I love that verse where Jesus says, blessed is the one who doesn't take offense at me. Blessed is the one who's not offended. It's so easy for us to be offended by the work of Jesus because it comes packaged in ways that we didn't expect and which challenges our um, presuppositions. 
As he went away from there, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you also insult us. Jesus was trying to correct them, to discipline them, to invite them, and instead they were insulted by him. Right? What's our response when Jesus presses in near to us and says, hey, I have something to say about the things you watch, about the things you listen to, about the people you're hanging out with, about the way you spend your money. Are we insulted by the word or do we receive it? To receive correction and say, thank you, Jesus, your discipline. I love the discipline of the Lord. This lady had this condition. She's bent over. She couldn't straighten herself. Jesus sees her, calls her over and says, you're freed. He lays hands on her. She immediately stands up straight. What does she do? She glorifies God, but the ruler of the synagogue, synagogue was indignant. Because again, Jesus had violated the principles of religion. Right? So it's basically like, I'm glad at what you did, God, but I wish you did it in a different way. <laughs> I wish you brought this change in a different package that was more easily palatable, right? And this happens so often with the Holy Spirit. Like, I would love if the Holy Spirit just did things that didn't make me feel weird about <laughs> the scenario. And God's just like, this, this is what I do, right? I do things that disrupt you, that offend your mind, because I'm, I'm aiming for your heart. They offend the flesh, but they're coming to your heart. He said all these things, his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people, what did they do? Their response was to rejoice at all the glorious things that were done by him. I love this. Tax collectors and sinners are drawing near. What do the Pharisees do? Again, they're grumbling. How do you know you're a Pharisee if you're always grumbling and complaining? (laughs) That's like such a Pharisee thing. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and what did they do? They didn't just reject or, or, or grumble. They actually turned to ridiculing Jesus for how he handled financial, like, thoughts, philosophies, these things. Look at the apostles. Here's, here's a positive one. I love the apostles, when they hit something that they didn't know what to do with Jesus, what did they ask for? They said, increase our faith. Isn't that cool? So when you hit something you don't understand about Jesus, something that disrupts you or stretches your experience, your first response should be, God, increase my faith. I don't know what that is. It it makes me really uncomfortable, but I know it's in the Bible. I know it's real. I trust that person's character. Increase my faith, not change that person. Lord, increase my faith. Jesus enters a village. He meets 10 lepers. They stand at a different distance. He heals all 10, right? Then he tells them, he's like, go back to the temple, present yourselves. One of them that was healed, he sees that he's healed. He turns back, praises God with a loud voice. What does he do? He falls on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And it's interesting that it's the Samaritan, not the nine Jews. (laughs) So nine Jews went to fulfill their religious duty after being healed. The Samaritan turns around and says, man, something about this man was no one found to return and give praise to God. He also told this parable to some who, listen to this, trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So there's a response to what Jesus is doing that rather than trusting him, we trust in our own righteousness. He heard these things, he became very sad, right? This is the rich young ruler because he was extremely rich. He was sad. The message of Jesus created sadness. And rather than letting that sadness lead to obedience, it led to him rejecting Jesus. But look at what Peter says. He says, look at us, Lord. We left everything for you. So the apostles responded rightly. They heard that same message and they go, we're willing to leave our boats and our nets and follow you and be fishers 
of men. See the blind beggar crying out to Jesus, have mercy on me. They tell him to to be silent. He cried out all the more, have mercy on me. Jesus stops, commands him to be brought there. And what do all the people do? They, They see this and they give praise to God. But what was his response to hearing about Jesus coming near? He cries out to God. Cries out to God. I love Zacchaeus. Tax collector, rich guy. Listen, what, what is Zacchaeus doing in response to Jesus? He's seeking him. He runs ahead and he climbs the tree. Jesus comes the, to the tree. He looks at Zacchaeus. He goes, hurry and come down. So what did he do? He hurried and came down. <laughs> I love that. It's like he did exactly what Jesus told him to do. He responded in obedience. He was so happy to know Jesus, that Jesus wanted to know him, that he did just what he told him to do. And then what does he do? Jesus eats in his house and he says, look at this now. I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor. He responded in radical generosity because he was so radically impacted by the love and grace of Jesus. Jesus getting near to Jerusalem. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works they had seen. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, right? They're saying, hey, you guys are going overboard. Listen to this. There's always going to be people who say your worship is too much. You're too demonstrative. You're getting too weird. There's something happening here. But, but Jesus goes, listen, if you didn't do that, the rocks would cry out. Worship is going to come from somewhere. It's either going to come from your heart. It's going to come from the heavens. It's going to come from creation. The response of worship is what he wants. Then you have the chief priests and scribes, right? All these people, they're seeking to destroy him. If Jesus teaching the temple, preaching the gospel, what do they do? They try to catch him in some theological word game. They're like, maybe we can trip him up. Maybe we can get him to say something wrong. The question is authority. The scribes and the priests, what do they do? They're seeking to lay hands on him. They perceived that he had told this parable. Yeah, they're like, I think that was about us. <laughs> the light came on. I was like, oh, that, oh no, that's, he's talking about us, right? So what did they do? They pretended to be sincere. They tried to catch him in something so they could deliver him up. They're seeking to put him to death. Why? Because they feared people. Their response to Jesus was that they feared man more than they feared God. Satan enters into Judas. What does Judas do? Judas seeks to betray Jesus. They seize him and lead him away, bring him to the high priest. Look at Peter's response to this. What had been nearness in Peter's life now becomes distance. Things got really hard and Peter responded by distancing himself from God. Then we find Peter not just distancing himself, but denying <laughs> Jesus, right? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not a part of that group. He hits this resistance. He denies Jesus. Then we have all the parts of his trial, right? They're, they're mocking him. They beat him. They blaspheme him. They accuse him. They do all this stuff. They ask Pilate. And look at Pilate's response. Pilate's response is like ambivalence. He's like, I don't know. He doesn't seem guilty, but it's not enough for me to do anything about it to help him. How many times does God find us just amb- ambivalent? He's like, I think God exists, but I don't know that it's a big enough deal to change my life. You find Herod, who's curious about Jesus. He wants to see signs and wonders. He wants to see the man. But what, is, what happens? His curiosity turns to contempt at the end because Jesus refused to do like the circus act and he refused to even answer him. He didn't even say a word in that moment. Then the crowd comes, the mob, they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Their response, get rid of this guy. Then what do you see? You see people responding as they follow him and the women mourning and lamenting 
see the soldiers casting lots for his garments, right? You see people scoffing at him. You see people mocking him. Even the criminal next to him, right? One of the criminals is is like mocking him, but the other one, look, you have two different responses on either side of the cross. One mocking and the other going, man, I messed this up. (laughs) What if this last minute confession might matter? What if my response to Jesus, even with my last breaths, could matter for eternity? And Jesus gives them this thing. He's like, for eternity, you'll enjoy paradise with me because of your response. Jesus dies. The centurion looks, he prays God saying, certainly this man was innocent. All the crowds they assembled, right? They go from crucify and crucify him to like beating their breasts. They're, they're regretting their actions. Joseph Right, this righteous man goes to the council. He responds to the death of Jesus by going like, I'm going to give him a good burial. That was a good man. I didn't consent to what happened. I'm going to do whatever I can now in my way to try to make this right. He buries Jesus. The women who come with him, right, they've got all this stuff. They're like, we're going to care for his body now. Even in, in our shame and guilt of what's happened, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to respond. And this is fascinating. What do they do? They rest on the Sabbath. Why? Because Jesus rested on the Sabbath. Like even in the midst of this, we're going to keep obeying everything we know about God. Everything, we've lost it all, but what we haven't lost is our choice to do the right thing. Jesus gets raised from the dead, right? He meets Mary. <laughs> These words, uh, right, she, she like receives this. She goes, the disciples are like, I don't know, this seems like a crazy story. Peter, though, he responds. He stands up and runs to the tomb. He marvels at what happened. Luke 24, I love these, this couple's walking on the road. Jesus shows up. They don't recognize him. He explains the entire kingdom of God and all the scriptures to him in one walk. That's a pretty good walk, right? And then they say, they're like, didn't our hearts burn within us? There's like this response inside them that they couldn't even control. The words of Jesus healed them, gave them hope, burned in them. And they went back to the apostles and they found the 11. They said, the Lord's risen indeed. I love this Luke 24. When Jesus meets them, it says they still disbelieved for joy. They were so overcome with joy, they couldn't believe that Jesus was actually alive because he would appear and disappear. And it's like, he's eating, but he's walking through walls. I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but joy and marveling attached to Jesus. Any experience with Jesus. Do you notice how much that happened? People who rejoice and marvel be in awe whenever they encounter Jesus. Then Jesus leads them out, lifts them hands, blesses them, he blesses them. He parted from them, gets carried off into heaven. And what did they do? They responded with worship and joy. While Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Right? So he's like, so he gives them this command. And what do you find them doing? And these, with one accord, devoted themselves to prayer. What did they do? They obeyed. Isn't that amazing? All these various responses to Jesus. You know, apathy, joy, ambivalence, fury, wrath, hope, following, generosity. I mean, it's just like there's just a smorgasbord of how we can respond to Jesus. Right? And that's the thing is we're, we're not so much different than these people. <laughs> we meet Jesus in many of the same ways. 
We meet Jesus when he confronts our sin. We meet Jesus when he puts his hand on our finances and say, I want that. We meet Jesus when we're in a relationship he doesn't approve of and he says, get out of this, right? Like whatever it is, like we meet him and we have an opportunity to respond, right? To respond. And I come back to that scripture that says, this man is appointed so that many might rise or fall based on who he is and that their hearts might be revealed, So our response to Jesus, right, is in this. And we have to decide what our life will be determined by. What will we live by, right? And and I just want to read some things about what your life, your rising and falling will not be determined by, right? So can you just hear this morning? Your, Your rising and falling will not be determined by the numbers on your financial statement, by your reputation amongst people who love you or people who hate your guts, You won't rise or fall based on how many followers or likes or friends you have in the virtual world. You won't rise or fall by the achievement of your children or by their failure. You won't rise or fall by your success in your marriage or by your failure in marriage. You won't rise or fall based on your success in business or your failure in business. You don't rise or fall based on your ability to live up to some worldly standard of beauty or by your style, your travel, your influence, your culinary taste, your mixology skills, your hobbies, your fluency in pop culture, your status in some subculture of the world. Your life won't be determined by your willpower, your gifts and abilities, your ability to perform in religion, to get your life under control, to always say or do the right thing, or in fact, to not do the wrong thing. Your life won't be determined by how you perform religiously. Your life will be determined by the one response which determines all other things, and that's your response to Jesus. Your life will rise or fall based on how you respond to the reality that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Lord of all, which implicates your entire existence. That's what your life will rise or fall on, and I get it. It's really hard to keep this at the front of our mind as we go into the world, <laughs> as we lie down and as we wake up and as we walk along the road and as we send emails and do work and parent our children and try to find a spouse and all these things. I get it, but this is the one thing that matters. And our hearts are revealed by how we respond to the reality that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Lord of all. Our hearts are revealed, right, by how we respond to the reality of Jesus Christ and his birth and his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and the coming of his Holy Spirit. This is the whole package of who Jesus Christ is. And our lives will rise or fall based on how we respond to his birth, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, his ascension by the coming of his spirit. Why will they rise or fall? Because he says they will. <laughs> and he's Lord. Of all, I love Paul. He tells Timothy, I'm going to invite the band to come back up and we're going to wrap up. I love, he says, take hold of life, which is truly life. So what does that mean? That means with your life, you can take hold of a life that is not truly life and live it thinking you're living life (laughs) like a true life when you're not. Or as one writer said, it's possible to mislive your life. And the dangerous possibility is that no one may tell you that you're misliving your life because they're misliving theirs too. And they can't actually notice it. 
But Paul says, take hold of the life that's truly life. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. With what? With the life that is truly life. I'm knocking on the door. And you get to respond. You get to either open that door or you get to wait. But Jesus, he's patient. That's the beautiful thing. He's patient. He's kind. But our response matters. So I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to pray. And I'd love for you just to maybe close your eyes. And I'm going to read some things over, over you. And I want you just to maybe, even with your eyes closed, imagine maybe one of those stories stood out. Maybe you've been apathetic. Maybe you've been ambivalent. Maybe you've been um, in a place where you need Jesus to increase your faith in these days. But the beautiful thing is today is a day to respond. It's the day to open the door to Jesus. To open the door to new life and salvation. To open the door to healing. To open the door to joy. To open the door to forgiveness to open the door to reconciliation, to open the door to deliverance, to open the door to radical surrender, open the door to abundance, to joy, to freedom, open the door to his Holy Spirit, his gift, because he wants to live in you. And I just want to say, if the Holy Spirit's been moving in your heart by these responses, and you might say, what, how do I know if the Holy Spirit's moving in, your, in my heart? Here's how it looks for me. It's like nervous energy. If you've been like tapping your leg or something during the, during the talk, it feels like dread. <laughs> You're like, oh. It feels like, oh crap, is he looking at me right now when he read that verse? Sweaty hands, electricity pulsing through my body, hope pulsing inside me for the first time in a long time, a pull to move toward him. I remember a time when I went to the altar and it literally felt like I had one of those like long rubber bands tied around my waist and somebody was holding on to it and they let it go and I just literally like, wow. I was like, I had to go. I had to move to the altar because God was calling me. question, just, if you just, maybe just with your eyes closed, just ask him, what has been your response to him recently? What has been your response to him? Has it been excuses? I'm too busy. I don't have the capacity. I've been through too much pain this year. I just want to tell you, whatever it is, he's inviting you to come. And our prayer team is going to be at the front, so I'm going to invite them up right now. And they would love to pray with you through whatever door you want to open today, whether that's surrendering your life to Jesus for the very first time and receiving the free gift of salvation or anything else Jesus has to offer. He's just saying, come. So I just want to, I'm going to pray over us. So Jesus, we love you. We want to be a church that responds to you rightly. Want to be the people who wonder and awe and marvel and glory and surrender and love and follow and obey and give and serve and sacrifice because we meet you. So Lord, I pray whatever response you're evoking out of us right now, I pray for courage to respond. 
courage to respond, Lord, that this season might be radically different than any other season, that we might meet you in a fresh way, we might encounter you in newness of life. So we love you, Jesus. We worship you. We honor you today. As both the Son of God and the Lord of all, would you come in power in Jesus' name.